the Apostle Paul sent the Lord Jesus Christ, the great firstborn of all creation, in his absolute completeness, above all others and above everything else that exists. And now he also reveals that our hope is that he, the one who is the firstborn of creation, he who is God's agent of creation, the express image of, of God, the perfect likeness and revelation of everything that God is without anything left out, he now reveals that our only hope is to have that one within us in all of his power and all of his fullness. The pure and simple gospel is the grand secret, the mystery of mysteries. It was utterly unknown to the mass of mankind, and even though God revealed much of it in his word to his chosen people in the Old Testament, they only vaguely understood it and often misinterpreted it and missed what God had to say about it. This secret would never have been known in its fullness if God had not chosen to reveal it. For though it is now revealed in his word in all of its fullness, it is of no use to an individual until the individual's eyes are opened by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Recall how the Lord Jesus said, No man cometh unto me unless the Father draws him to me. This grand mystery, which is an open secret, is of no use to the individual until that person is touched by the power of the Holy Spirit and enabled to respond in faith to God. The gospel is very common today. Very often the gospel is undervalued. It is taken too lightly. And I fear that much of modern Christianity has so identified itself with Christ and with what is right that we begin to deny the very word of God as the Jews did, who finally felt themselves to be so fully and closely identified with God that they felt free to add on, to edit the Word of God to do what they thought had to be done. Christ, not anything else, not his blessings, not his gifts, but Christ himself is our only hope. So this morning, the hope of glory in verse 24 of Colossians 1 is what I have called the glory of hope. He says a very startling thing as he begins this passage. He suggests that his own sufferings will fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, the word translated sufferings or afflictions means tribulation. It means trouble. It is like the word persecution. And I think that few really realize how closely the Christian is related to Christ. For we are dead, Paul writes, and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. You see what Paul is saying was that for Paul to suffer was for Christ to suffer. 
For you see, Christ is in us. And what we perform on his behalf, he is a part of. And when he suffers, he suffers through us when we are persecuted. Service for Christ always involves distress and pain. And yet Paul rejoices in the midst of them knowing that he is in God's word. What a daring thought it is. Christ died for the church. That's true. Salvation is complete. We have been purchased with his blood, but in the building up of the church, in the extension of the church, she must be kept pure and strong. She must be saved from error and humanism. And as that happens, those who serve Christ will be treated by the world as Christ was treated by the world. To suffer for Christ is not a penalty. It is a privilege and an honor. For it is sharing in his work. Paul can only rejoice because his suffering benefits the church. His fellowship with Christ stops short of suffering, distress, pain, then it is indeed incomplete. Paul wants the Colossians to stand no matter what it costs, just like Christ did. When he stood before the cross and endured it despising the shame for the joy that was set before him, our salvation is complete because of the cross. What we endure is what the Greek literally says when he says filling up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction. Literally, word for word, it says that which comes behind Christ's affliction. In other words, it is as though we are in the wake of a ship. And what we experience is because the ship has traveled through and left a wave in its wake. And what we experience as Christians when persecuted, when standing for Christ, when distressed for his sake, what we suffer there is because of the world's reaction to Jesus. Samuel was told by God when brokenhearted because the people rejected the rule of God. God told Samuel, do not be distressed for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. We have fallen heirs to the leftovers, if you please, of the world's attitude toward Christ. And all of it goes to fill up the cup of affliction, which when it is full will give birth to eternal joy. Christ is persecuted when Christians are persecuted. Recall when Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, recorded in the book of Acts. The thing that he spoke when the light had blinded Saul and driven him to his feet, to his knees, the thing that the voice said was, Saul, why do you persecute me? When Christians are persecuted, Christ is persecuted. And it ought to be very obvious that Christ never persecutes himself. In verse 25, here is the gift 
of leadership. Paul writes, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Now notice that phrase by phrase. Paul says he was made a minister. Ministers are not called by men. They are made by God. And just as in a man who owns a business, it is God who is in charge of the personnel. They are accountable to the owner, to the master. Now we're good about quoting the verse Paul wrote where he said, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. That verse is found in a letter to Timothy, who, is a, who was a pastor. Now, the word steward is a specialized term. It literally means house manager. In the ancient world, the steward was a slave of the house owner. And the house owner gave the steward authority to run the house and he was accountable to the owner of the house. Now here, as in Timothy, Paul tells us that the minister called of God and appointed by God is responsible to God. The steward is the house manager appointed by the owner of the house. Now that's what a steward is. And there is only one in a house. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was the steward of Potiphar, the captain of the king's guard in Egypt. Joseph, appointed by Potiphar to manage his affairs, was accountable only to Potiphar. And Joseph described his position, he has trusted it into my hands, and I will not be unfaithful to him. What is the task? The task is twofold. The name steward, house manager, means that it is a task of administration. But then he expands it when he says that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word. Fully carry out the preaching of the word. According to the scriptures, everything else that the steward does is secondary to the ministry of the word. Everything else is secondary to the ministry of the Word. And until somebody besides the Father ascends the throne, I will be faithful, as I understand it, to do what He demands in ministering fully the Word of God. We are to transmit it to those for whom it was intended. And then in verses 26 and 27, here is the great hope. He calls it a mystery. A mystery is something that can be known only by revelation. Paul describes the essence of the task given to him by God to bring this revelation of this great mystery to those for whom it was intended to tell men that God loves them. When Paul uses the term mystery, as he does in writing to the Ephesians and here in Colossians and in other places, he always joins the word mystery with another word that means something like letting the cat out of the bag. He always speaks of the mystery as an open secret 
that God has chosen to reveal. The Christian will be in Christ and involved in the work of Christ, but the glorious message Paul brings is that Christ is also in us. It is our hope. Hope is joyous anticipation and expectation. It is our glory, and glory will be ours when we reign with Him in heaven. He willed to fully reveal Himself. This mystery is now fully made known to the world as God has uncovered it and let men see it full of glory and richness. Unregenerate man cannot understand why it is such a big deal to know Jesus. They cannot understand it. Paul tells the Corinthian church that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned. This mystery began to be unfolded when Christ came and lived among men and when he was crucified. It was unfolded a little more and made clearer when he was raised from the dead and when he ascended to the Father. But it will be made complete when he comes. And the essence of this mystery is Christ himself. For notice, it is his riches. It is his glory. He is the mystery. It took the omnipotent, omniscient, the all-powerful, all-knowing mind of God to suggest the idea of Emmanuel. God with us. Only God could have envisioned it. Man would never have suspected that he who was infinite would become an infant. That he who was the ancient of days would grow up as a child. That he who was the prince of peace would be a man of sorrow. We cannot preach the gospel without preaching Christ. Just as there is no day without the sun, just as there is no river without water, just as there is no body without a head. Christ is the life, the soul, the substance, and the essence of this mystery. Christ on board the ship when his disciples were troubled guaranteed their safety, whether they knew it or not. Christ in your heart. Christ in your house. Christ in you. And that means Christ accepted by faith. That means the Lord Jesus Christ experienced. It means Him possessed. It means Him reigning over you, filling you. When iron is shaped and formed, it is placed into the forge, and the iron is left in the fire until the fire enters the iron before it can be formed and shaped and made into what it needs to be made into. And so with us, we are in Christ. But we cannot be shaped and formed and made into what He wants us to be until left in the fires long enough we are filled with Him. We are filling up his afflictions. We are caught in the wake, in the leftovers of what the world 
hated him for? Because he exposed his sin. Because he was different. Because he revealed the heart and mind of God that is at war with the old human nature. Christ possessed. Experience laying over us, filling us. Christ in you means that the fire is within. Christ in you means power in you. No man has everything that the world has to offer, but every man who hears the gospel can have Christ within him, the hope of glory. And then notice in verses 28 and 29, here is the great motive, the great motive it is from the Word of God that we must draw our priority and our order. You know, many times Christians seem to think that the work of the church is to hold a garden and keep out the weeds. When the Word of God says that the work of the church is to spread seed over all the soil, that is available. There's a great deal of difference. A great deal of difference. Here is the great motive. What is it all about? Now think about what he said in chapter 1. He said that Christ is the express image of the Father. That Christ is the Creator. That He is all and in all. That everything was made by Him that was made and all things exist in Him and through Him and for Him. And that Christ in us is the hope of glory. What is the great motive of everything that Christ has done and of what he wants us to do? See what Paul says. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. What is the purpose of your labor, Paul? Why is it that you work so hard? And for this also I labor. For what? For presenting every man complete in Christ, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The great motive of the church is to be to mature saints, to let them grow up in Jesus. Now, we say that needs to be counterbalanced with evangelism, how true that is. But I would remind you that if Christians are mature, you will have evangelism. There's no way around it. When a tree is healthy, it bears fruit. That's why Paul's goal, he was probably as great an evangelist as ever lived, but his goal was to build up faith through the ministry of the Word. That's what it's all about. This is the great motive. The gospel seems simple, but it is also more profound than anything else. Paul is saying that every Christian should grow and learn. Paul focuses all attention on Christ. He saw the danger that wolves would enter the sheepfold with false doctrine, a doctrine of humanism a doctrine of human determinism that we can do whatever we want to do because we belong to the Lord and whatever we think is all right. That was the era at Colossae. 
That was the thing that was destroying the church. Humanism. Paul knew it would happen. And his goal is to present every man mature, complete, whole in Christ. Paul says we admonish every man and we warn every man. I've always been puzzled by the reaction that I have when I read the Word of God sometimes, when I hear it, and the reaction of other Christians. For Paul wrote to Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is the breath of God. That's what inspiration means in the Greek. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. What is it profitable for? For doctrine. What we believe comes from the Word. Now, that's where most people stop but it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And when anybody reacts to what the Word says, they've admitted sin that they are refusing to repent of and confess and turn away from. It is said in the prophets a number of times. They came to the prophet Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, do not tell us that. Tell us something else that we want to hear. But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. No man is beyond the need of correction and growth. Paul wants to close the gap between what we are and what God wants us to be. And the way he proposes to do that is by preaching and warning and teaching the Word of God. His aim is intensely practical. It is that Christians grow up in grace. He says he strives. The Word is that of a wrestler involved in a wrestling match who is at every moment during the match alert and tense and exerting his strength so that he can gain the mastery over his opponent. That's what he says, I strive. But the striving is according to the power of God that is within him, not according to his own power. Only God, as we hear and respond to his word, can make us what we ought to be. Christ in you is not just our hope, but it is the mainspring of action. It is the secret of power. There may be wearisome toil and agony, but it will be in His power if we allow Him to use us. Victory is His. It is the subject of His ministry, the ministry of Paul to mature Christians to help them grow up, not to tell them what they think they want to hear. All true ministry is Word-centered and Christ-centered. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anything short of that will leave you lost. Anything. Anything short of that will leave you lost. That's why activity is unsatisfying. It must be Christ himself, not his blessings. Nothing but Jesus will still the storm in your heart. How does it happen? 
how can we possess him in his fullness by being humble, by humility, by being clean and pure, by being empty, by rejoicing in all things, recognizing that though he may not have decreed what we experience, he has most certainly allowed it to overtake us. Christ will not dwell in his fullness where he is not wanted. He will not dwell in his fullness where he is not owned as master and Lord. He will not dwell in his fullness where Christians seek alternatives to the plain, simple teachings of his word for guidance. He has spoken. The word is his breath. It came from his mouth. It is perfect and whole. It is not obscure. And to proof text, to seek to find anything that seems to support a given opinion, is not to have the courage of one's convictions. It is to put oneself on the throne and deny the Father his right to be in charge. He will not dwell where he is not wanted, where he is not honored. Desire him. Seek him. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You have heaven in you when you have Christ, for he is the soul of heaven. He is glory. He is our only hope. We are to let Christ speak with our mouths. We are to let him weep for a lost world with our eyes. We are to let him smile with our faces. We are to let him work with our hands. We are to let him seek sinners through us because he is in us. Jesus said the servant is not greater than his master. Fellowship with Christ that stops short of suffering is incomplete. But oh, how tragic it is when that spiritual warfare and that conflict is waged within the confines of the church. Paul promised that there would be spiritual warfare, but he demanded in every case, in his letters to Timothy, in his letter to Titus, in the Roman epistle, in his other writings, the letters to the church at Corinth, that never must those who know better allow spiritual warfare within the church. You know, we wring our hands. We say, oh me, oh my. Let me tell you, it is not unspiritual or unconverted church members in any church that God holds responsible for what's going on. It's those who know better and do nothing who are responsible. You see, Jesus said to whom much is given, much is required. Christ in you the hope of glory. Paul said, I rejoice when I suffer because I am allowed to drift in the weight of the world's attitude toward Jesus. Christ in your heart. Christ in your house. Christ 
in you, reigning, possessing you, ruling you, living through you, is the only hope. May we pray. Father in heaven, how I thank you that you haven't left us alone. Father, how I ask you forgiveness when we allow anything to take our faith and turn it away from Jesus. Father, you know our hearts, you know our needs. You know our reluctance to stand. Father, it's so much easier not to. So much easier to just let whoever seems to yell the loudest or carry the biggest stick or have the sharpest tongue rule. And God, forgive us when we allow your church to be prostituted by that kind of unspiritual, unholy domination. Father, you know what we need. Father, I pray on behalf of this people today that you will cleanse us from our sins. That we, your people, will forsake our wicked ways and repent so that you may hear from heaven and heal our land. Father, do within us what you want to do. You are our hope. You are our only hope. You are the only hope of the world. Father, I cannot fathom how Christ became a man and how or why he would die for us. But I thank you that he did. Father, I pray that every one of us may experience the fullness of his presence, his power, that is the iron is in the fire, so Christ may enter into us as the fire enters into the iron. Do with us what pleases you, whatever you would have us do. May we follow according to your word and obey. I claim it in Jesus' name. Amen.